Well, you can, if you care to do so, open your Bible or your app to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, in addition to that, you may also, whether you have a Bible with you or not, want to reach into your celebration folder and pull out these uh, message notes, which say can of worms up at the top. Um, I get the opportunity this morning to uh, preach on murder, adultery, anger, and lust all in one sermon. So that'll be exciting. And um, let me just uh, give a warning to you, uh, parents, if you have young children with you, just be advised of what the title is. This isn't going to be some lewd sermon. There's no pictures or anything. But, um, you know, if that title maybe uh, alerts you that maybe that might lead to some conversations that you think may not be good for your younger children, then just be aware of that. If you're my age and that, com- that topic makes you a little uncomfortable, I guess you can leave too. I don't know. Uh, it's really all up to you. Just be, be warned. Well, we're going to begin this morning um, uh, this series on can of worms, where we're going to talk about some um, hotter issue, relevant issue type topics over the coming weeks. I'm just going to actually continue today with Jesus' words in Matthew 5, right where Brett left off last week. And uh, so that's where we're going to go, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's the one speaking, and so you can start following with me at uh, Matthew 5, verse 21. Where Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus' point here isn't those exact words. He's just illustrating being angry. He goes on, verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus makes the point that Unity is so important that even if you're in the middle of a worship service, a celebration time, and realize that there's an issue between you and someone else, then leave the celebration, leave the worship, and go do whatever it takes to make that matter right. It's that important. He says, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. And do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And then Jesus goes on, and you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, Jesus' point here is not that we start self-mutilating ourselves. It's that take, we need to take this issue seriously. 
And so here's what I need you to understand. In fact, as we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, this will help you to understand this. That there is this huge gap between Jesus' idea and the Pharisees' idea, the Pharisees being the, the religious leaders of that day. There is this huge gap between Jesus' idea and the Pharisees' idea of goodness. The Pharisees' idea was that you just did good actions. And so by doing good actions, it made you good. And so their whole focus was on externals, what you do. But Jesus' idea of goodness was that you be the kind of person who just naturally did the right thing. And so, rather than focusing on externals, Jesus' focus was always on internals. It's important that you get that. Now, today, we live in a culture that wants to just focus on externals, what you're doing. You know, just avoid things like murder and adultery. And if you just avoid doing those things, that'll make you a good person. But God's focus is on our hearts, on the internals. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. Now, back to the Sermon on the Mount, you need to understand that anger obviously doesn't always lead to murder. But murder always begins with anger that we allow to hang around in our heart. And likewise, lust doesn't always lead to adultery, but adultery always begins with lust that we allow to continue developing in our heart. And so in our flesh... We, just like these Pharisees in Jesus' day, we just want to focus on our outward actions, on the externals. But you need to understand that God is much more concerned with what's going on in our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that is why we need to have our hearts regenerated by the gospel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, I, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, we tend to just focus on the behaviors down here at the far end of the spectrum. And so to our way of thinking, what you do in the privacy of your own mind, well, that doesn't matter. And so we get wronged. 
or we get hurt, or we get sinned against, and we want payback, don't we? And so we justify holding on to that hurt and kind of letting it percolate in our heart. But Jesus says it does matter if you hold on to that hurt in your heart. And that when you understand, when you begin to grasp grace and the gospel, then what you would more naturally want to have is to forgive. That we recognize that the greatest offense is our sin to a holy God. That we don't deserve forgiveness. And yet God gives us grace rather than what we deserve. And so, as, as people who have tasted grace through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, out of gratitude for God, to God, then I choose to freely give grace to those who have hurt and sinned against me. Sure, they don't deserve it, but neither do I deserve the grace that God gives me. Jesus makes this point in really a famous story of his in Matthew chapter 18. Maybe you've heard it, but you'll hear it again. Here it is, Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus is talking, and he says this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. I mean, more money than he could ever pay back. And so, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That was just. That was fair. And it says, but at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. That's a lie. He could never pay it all back. But he says, I will pay back everything. And it says that the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and he let him go. It says, but when the servant, the same servant, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, just a little amount of money. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Sound familiar? And it says, But he refused. And instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled 
all that debt of yours because you begged me. Listen to what verse 33, this is the point. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You see, if we've truly grasped our are beginning to grasp the reality of our offense to a holy God and the magnitude of grace that is given us through Jesus, then we realize the ridiculousness of holding on to any offense that might be done against us. You see, the comparison of the offense and the measure of the grace that it takes to extend forgiveness is incomparable. And so how can a heart that has experienced such amazing grace not be a giver of grace as well? How can someone who has been forgiven of so much, not also freely forgive. That's Jesus' point. And so Jesus goes on here in the sermon, and he, and he says also, he deals with this issue of lust. You know, the internet in our day has led to pornography being widely accepted. Let me, let me give you some, some simple statistics. 39% of all adults say that they see nothing wrong with pornographic use. Almost 4 out of 10 people. And listen to this amongst 18 to 26-year-olds. You see how as the generations get younger, this is increasing. Amongst 18 to 26-year-olds, 67% of men and 49% of women say that viewing pornography is an acceptable practice. Almost two out of every three guys, almost one out of every two women. And then this isn't pornography, but, but listen to this. 29% of born-again Christians in the United States say it's okay to view movies with explicit sexual behavior. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's, here's the problem with all of this. It's that we as a culture are thinking like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. See, that what you allow to go on in your mind and in your heart doesn't matter. It's just your external actions. But Jesus' point is that the two are connected. You see, the accepted norm of our day is that whatever happens in your mind doesn't matter as long as you don't act on it. But Jesus says it matters what's going on in your heart and in your mind. And so Jesus here addresses adultery specifically but I think it would apply to all sexual sin. And by that I mean sexual activity outside of the covenant commitment of marriage. 
But Jesus' point here is this. That God's standard for his followers goes beyond the behavior of physical sexual sin. It extends to the sexual sin in my heart as well. You see, if we've truly grasped the gospel, are we, are we, we're starting to get our, our hearts and our minds around the reality of the gospel, then we want to keep our hearts soft towards God. And we want to see them, our hearts shaped in such a way that produces God-honoring actions as the natural, normal thing that happens. And the problem is, that in a fallen, sinful world like what we live in, that just takes intentionality to do so, doesn't it? Job said in Job 31, verse 1, 4,000 some years ago, Job said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, if Job had to say that 4,000 years ago, Think about in our day with all that technology and all that has brought to us, how much more that is true with us. But it's important you get this. <clears throat> the point of all this is not that we just face the guilt and, and, and this sense of false condemnation. You're right. I've struggled with this for so long. I'm the worst person in the world. How could God love me? It's not that. Nor is it that we, that we have a sense of pride in our self-righteousness where we're looking around the room and thinking, well, I don't struggle with that. What's the matter with these other sinful people? It's not that. But it's that we deal with what's going on in our hearts. I mean, the truth is, I don't know of any man who doesn't struggle with lust or the temptation of pornography to some level. It's just so prevalent in our culture today. 35% of all internet searches are for pornography. 25% of all internet downloads now are for pornography. 1.5 billion pornographic movies are downloaded every day. 60% of all websites visited are sexual in nature. There are 68 million daily internet searches for porn. And parents, we need to be talking about this with our kids. The Washington Post says 11 million teens view internet porn on a regular basis. And for American children, they begin consuming hardcore pornography at the average age of 11. Four out of five 16-year-olds regularly access pornography online. If your plan is to talk about this to your kids when they turn 16, you are way too late getting at it. There are over 5 million pornographic websites, and a new one is created every 39 minutes. And let's not kid ourselves that Christian men are somehow exempt from this. Five out of every 10 men in church 
struggle with internet pornography. That's half of us. And it is increasingly becoming an issue for women. You know, once considered the domain of men, 9.4 million women now admit to accessing pornography on the internet every month. And if it's not viewing pornography, it's reading romance novels, which are really just pornography for women, I think. But listen to me, lust isn't just looking at pornography. So let's spend a a little bit of time talking about what, what is lust? What, what lust is? Well, let's, let's look, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, and listen to what Paul has to say here. Paul says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality, all sexual sin, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Here's the definition I think that Paul gives us here is this, that lust is a sexual desire minus honor and holiness. You see, The commitment to honor people and to revere God is holiness. And so when I want to satisfy my sexual desire, but I don't want you as a covenant partner, that's not honoring you. When I want your body to satisfy my sexual desire... But I don't want you as a whole person that is dishonoring you. And so Paul goes on, verse 7. He says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You see, if you take God away and you take honor for the other person away, then what is left is lust. And so here's the point. That we should strive for a heart that pushes back against thinking of another person as simply an object to satisfy my sexual desires. Or trying to satisfy my deeper longings with the short-term rush of sexual satisfaction at any level. That's the point. Now listen to me. The goal of this is not that we just get better at managing our sin. That's not the point. Maybe you're hearing this, you say, okay, Jay, I got it. I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to work really hard not to do these external behaviors. That's not the point. The point is instead that Jesus says 
that we need to seek to be the kind of person who is desiring to protect our hearts. That we're desiring to be the type of gospel-saturated individuals that are living in such a way that what just naturally emerges from us is love and forgiveness and kindness and grace and purity and integrity and honor for the other person. And so Paul says in Philippians, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then in finally, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, maybe the memory verse for all of us is this. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so, how's your heart this morning? I mean, is there someone that you need to forgive? Maybe there's something that you've been holding on to that today... You just need to surrender that to God. What's going on in your heart? What's the condition? What's the state of your heart? Let me talk to you for just a minute about forgiveness. Because for some of you, there's this emotional battle going on inside of you right now. And so what you need to understand is that forgiveness is not saying that that wrong that that sin that was done against you somehow is right or that somehow it doesn't matter. It did matter. It does matter. It was wrong. But what forgiveness is, is releasing that other person, the person who sinned against you, it's releasing them into God's hands to be the judge. It's removing yourself from the right to judge that person. It's saying, no, I'm going to take myself out of the equation. God, you may or may not do something to pay them back in this life for that. But you know what? I'm not going to stand over that person as judge and jury anymore. I'm going to release that into your hands. That's what forgiveness is. It's recognizing that because we understand how undeserving of grace we are, and that Grace has been extended to us if we're in Christ. Grace has been extended to us that we don't deserve. And so with all that I am, I'm going to choose to extend grace to that person who doesn't deserve it either. Because I understand that I didn't deserve the grace that God has freely given to me. That's what forgiveness is. And you know, I've been at this pastoring thing long enough that I know that a lot of times the person that we have the most trouble forgiving is ourself. For some of us, 
the person we're struggling the most letting off the hook is me. You know, I, I, I can let this person off. I mean, it's hard, but I can choose to take myself out of the place of being judge and jury over that person. But when it comes to me, I should have known better. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe. Here's, let me just think this through with you for just a minute. If that's you this morning, then I, here's what I want you to realize. That is like saying that Jesus shed blood isn't enough to forgive that too. You know, it's enough to forgive this person. It's enough to, per, to let this person be released from me. Paul, but it's just not enough. I should have known better. I can't believe I did this. I, I can't forgive my... It's saying Jesus shed blood wasn't enough. And it was. And if that's you today, listen, the first thing you need to do is you need to confess your pride that's caused you to put yourself in a different place than everybody else and then to freely receive the grace that is offered you through the shed blood of Jesus. I think maybe God might be challenging some of us to choose to take that step this morning. You know, some of us might need to confess sexual sin today. There might be some of us that are in a relationship right now that we know, a sexual relationship right now that we know is not honoring to God, does not meet God's desires for us. And so I believe God's challenge to you today is to break it off now, today. Make the choice to do that. And to set up, put some safeguards in your life that will keep you from facing that potentially temptation, overwhelming situation again. You know, when our, when our kids were younger, they're older now, but when our kids were younger, uh, they, would, they would talk about a situation that they wanted to do that we felt was a temptation situation that could, could overwhelm them. And our kids would say, like all teenagers do, well, don't you trust us? And we would say, heck no, we don't trust you. <laughs> Any more than I would trust myself to put myself in that situation where temptation could easily overwhelm me. And in fact, some of us, that's the issue for us today. We find ourselves in situations where we think, how did this happen to me? Let me tell you how it happened to you. You lied to yourself, you deceived yourself, and you put yourself in a situation where temptation overwhelmed you. And what you need to do is determine you're not going to put yourself in those places anymore. And you need to say to someone in your small group or to some, other, some brother or sister in Christ, listen, protect me from my own stupidity. Don't let me keep making these stupid choices. Don't let me keep putting myself into these temptation situations where I so easily get overwhelmed because I lie to myself. I deceive myself. Keep me from doing that anymore. Some of us need to confess those things and take steps to walk away from those things. For some of us, it's the sexual sin that's going on in our minds and our hearts. And for you today, that means to get rid of that pornography that you have. Whether it's on your computer or some internet subscription, whatever it is, and to establish some accountability in your life. 
For many of us, it starts with doing what Job did, with, for making a covenant with our eyes. And to confess our sin to God and to receive the grace that he freely gives, but then to show repentance by putting some action steps with that, to keep ourselves from finding ourselves back in it again. Maybe that means getting an internet filter. You say, but it'll make my computer run slower. Well, it'll be worth it. Maybe it's getting that software that sends an email to a friend of anything potentially inappropriate that you visit. Maybe it's having someone in your life who will be committed to asking you once a week, calling you once a week, or talking to you once a week and saying, hey, have you looked at anything this week that you shouldn't have looked at? And then their second question should be, did you just lie to me about looking at anything that you shouldn't look at? But hear me, friends, don't miss this. The point isn't that we beat ourselves up over this. Listen, if you are in Christ, our sin was paid for on the cross. Nor is the point that we're to just knuckle down in our strength so that we're just really good at managing our sin. But rather, here's the point. That we get serious about watching over our hearts. And so the question, I think, for each of us this morning as we wrap up is just this. What might you need to do today for the sake of your heart? To keep it soft or to begin softening it up toward your Savior Jesus who loved you so much that he died on a cruel cross and shed his blood to pay for your sin. And so as we just continue worshiping together, I, I just want to encourage you, if, if there's some step for you, then take it. Then take it. Maybe that's going to mean, you know, we'll have prayer partners up here as we sing these next couple of songs. And maybe for you, the action step of going to someone and saying, hey, would you just pray for me in this struggle? I don't want to forgive, or I struggle in this way, or would you, just, would you just pray for me about this? Maybe it's making yourself accountable. Maybe some of us need to make ourselves accountable before we even leave this room. We need to just lean over to someone and say, listen, will you call me later and just check on me tomorrow that I talk to somebody that I know better than you, stranger, and just, <laughs> and just, just hold me accountable that I'm going to make myself accountable. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just talking to God right now, but it's choosing to get serious about guarding our hearts. Well, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're all at different places, but this is real life stuff that all of us face, that all of us struggle with, that all of us deal with, that all of us face the temptations of, that some of us are winning the victory in and some of us are losing the victory in, that some of us are struggling in, wherever we find ourselves in that continuum, Jesus. Help us first realize that you are a God who freely gives the grace that we don't deserve. But then secondly, Lord Jesus, help us to get serious about taking the steps in our life for the sake of our hearts.
to be the kind of people who, who what just naturally flows out of us is goodness. Not focusing on the behaviors, but what's going on in our heart first that lead to those behaviors. Lord, for some of us, it's going to mean forgiving somebody. Some of us that we're struggling with. That some of us, even for right now, because th that the pain of what they did to us just screams so loudly. Lord, help us hear your challenge above that pain. That our cry for justice seems so right. Lord, help us in contrast to that to realize that we're so glad you don't give us justice for us that you shed your blood to give me grace that I don't deserve Lord help us to have the courage to step into granting that to someone else Lord for those of us who are in the midst of some sinful action or some sinful thing that's going on in our, in our minds, Lord, whatever that be. Lord, give us the, the wisdom to know the next step to take and then the courage to do it. And I pray it for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.